Bernie Sanders shares some unfortunate news with his followers. The Israeli election comes to an end, and a Democratic congressman spars with Candace Owens. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. A lot to get to today. Obviously, the big news out of Israel is that Bibi Netanyahu retains the prime ministership for a fifth term. He has been prime minister for well over a decade at this point. Netanyahu has, for the fifth straight time, surprised the press in Israel, which is constantly on the left and has been routinely critical. And obviously, the New York Times is very unhappy about all this. We'll get to all of that in just one second. First, let's talk about how you can have a more calming sleep. So I've said on the show many times, I am not good at sleep. This is why we have so many sponsors about sleep, all of them attempting to make my sleep better. Well, one of the sponsors that makes my sleep better and better every night is Calming Comfort. So I've tried this Calming Comfort Blanket by Sharper Image. It's a luxurious weighted blanket that helps you relax so you can fall asleep and stay asleep naturally. It's designed with high-density comfort fill to provide exactly the right amount of weight to help relax your body. You're not shifting around as much as your sleep or rolling around or balling up the blanket or anything like that. It's a it's made with a super soft velveteen material. It is designed to promote a sense of calmness and relaxation for a more restful sleep. When you're under the blanket, there is a feeling almost of being hugged. I mean, there's an actual weight to the blanket, so you are essentially being weighted down. And that means that you're not going to be getting all that nervous energy that you get when you're trying to fall asleep. It is really fantastic. I mean, it's so good that I actually went out and I got a second one because my wife liked it so much. You can sleep better and feel great and stress less. Stress less. Also, the Calming Comfort is 100% machine washable. It is drier safe. It is. It really is fantastic. I can't speak highly enough of the Calming Comfort blanket. Right now, it comes with a 90-day anxiety-free, stress-free, best night's sleep of your life guarantee from Sharper Image. Right now, just for our listeners, you can go to calmingcomfortblanket.com and you use promo code Bennett checkout to receive 15% off the displayed price. Again, that is calmingcomfortblanket.com. Use promo code Ben and you get that special deal because you can't put a price on a great night's sleep. Go online right now at calmingcomfortblanket.com and use promo code Ben for your special discount today. Kid sizes are available as well. Go check them out right now. Calmingcomfortblanket.com. Use promo code Ben and get 15% off the displayed price. And again, there's a 90-day guarantee, so you really got nothing to lose. Give it a try. It's awesome. You'll love it. All righty. So the big news of the day is obviously Benjamin Netanyahu's victory in Israel. So with 96% of all the ballots in, Netanyahu retains the prime ministership. He essentially wins the same number of seats as the so-called Kachovel Avon party, the blue and white party. And that party was a unity party that was created. These things happen in Israel sometimes where a unity party is created by a couple of prominent figures just in time for the election. A while back, Ariel Sharon had left the the Likud party, which is the right-wing party in Israel, and had created his own party called Kadima. And for a couple of election cycles, Kadima was an actual thing, and then it sort of fell apart. The two big parties historically in Israel, for people who don't follow Israeli politics, are Likud and Labor. Labor has completely fallen off the map. The left in Israel has fallen apart completely. The truth is that the Blue and White Party is a center party. It is not a left party, which means that if you were to view Israeli politics on a spectrum of left to right, what you actually see is that something like 90 out of 120 seats in the Israeli Knesset are center to center right, because the Blue and White Party is not wildly divided from the Likud, especially on issues like foreign policy. Now, the press were attempting to do this job where they suggested that blue and white was actually labor, that blue and white, the Benny Gantz party, Benny Gantz, the former IDF general, uh, yet your Lapid is a sort of moderate former television host in Israel. The idea was that this party was the new labor, that they were peaceniks. And if they had won the prime ministership, then there would certainly be productive negotiations with the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. This is absolutely untrue. And it's not untrue because the Israelis are intransigent on negotiation. 
It's untrue because they literally have no one to negotiate with. They I mean, there's no one for them to negotiate with. Who are they going to negotiate with? Hamas, an actual terrorist group that spends its days figuring out how to build terror tunnels to kidnap Israeli citizens and shooting the people that it presides over? Hamas is now in the, 12, the 14th year of a four-year term in the Gaza Strip. Mahmoud Abbas was last elected in 2005 in Judea and Samaria in the West Bank. Okay, that, that was 14 years ago at this point. So we're supposed to believe that that anti-democratic terrorist force is going to negotiate with Israel. So the Palestinian Authority, a terrorist group, is supposed to negotiate with Israel. They've refused over and over. Hamas is not negotiating with Israel. And the Western press says, why won't Israel negotiate with these terrorists? It truly is astonishing. There are a lot of people I know who are on the political right who are hoping that Netanyahu would lose, not because they dislike Netanyahu, but because they wanted the rest of the world to see that the so-called left in Israel can't even negotiate with Palestinian terrorists like the Palestinian Authority, Islamic Jihad, and Hamas. They wanted to give the lie to the idea that it's just Bibi's right-wing intransigence that is leading to this breakdown in negotiations. It's not true. It's a lie. But that is the line the media have pursued. They've demonized Netanyahu as a racist and a bigot. They've demonized Netanyahu as a Trump-like figure, even though Netanyahu is a historic figure in the history of Israel. I mean, he served as prime minister in the 90s. He was a special forces operator in Israel. His brother famously was killed during the raid on Entebbe. Netanyahu is a real intellectual. I mean, he went to MIT. <laughs> the, the whole attempt to portray Netanyahu as a dictatorial figure when he is trying to free up economics, has been elected multiple times. He's now the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history. It's an obvious misread from a left-wing press in the United States that has true animus against Israel and not just against Netanyahu. That's why, again, a lot of people on the right were saying they hope Netanyahu loses just to expose the New York Times for being anti-Israel because they'd be just as anti-Israel with Benny Gantz in power, for example. Now, the New York Times hilariously ran a headline last night because the New York Times can be counted on to get it wrong all the time. The New York Times ran a headline last night suggesting that no matter how the election turned out, it was rebuked to Netanyahu. Obviously false. Netanyahu, in many of the exit polls, was losing by four to five seats. When all the results came in, he is at the very least in a tie with about 35 seats in Knesset with blue and white. He may be at 36 and blue and white at 35. But all the right wing parties were uh, uh, form a much larger coalition than the left wing parties and the Arab parties in Israel. The Arab parties typically align with the left in Israel because they're hoping that Israel will make concessions to the Palestinians, among other things. The New York Times reports that Netanyahu was in position to win a fourth consecutive term on Wednesday with nearly all the votes counted. They say the race was extremely tight. His main rival, Benny Gantz, also claimed victory. Now, that is not unusual because what happens in Israel is the exit polls start to come out really quickly. Everybody claims victory and everybody can plausibly claim victory because you never know how the coalitions are going to shape up. The big surprise of the night actually wasn't Netanyahu winning. It was how many of the bigger right-wing parties didn't make the cutoff threshold. So there was a party called New Right with Naftali Bennett, who's a big media figure over in Israel, and, uh, and Shaked, who is the former justice minister in Israel and a real rising star in Israeli politics. They did not make the cutoff. The Zahut party led by Moshe Feiglin did not make the cutoff. That was kind of a surprise. Basically, it seems that, a lot of, that, that because Netanyahu was campaigning on the basis that the Israeli left was in danger of taking over. A lot of people who would have voted for right-wing splinter parties instead shifted their vote to Likud, giving Netanyahu the lead. The president, Ruven Rivlin, is going to choose who exactly gets to form a government. The way that government works in Israel is that you form a coalition with a majority in the Knesset, and the president has to decide who to hand the opportunity to to form the coalition. Typically, it's pretty obvious. You just sort of look at where the parties naturally align, and then you say, okay, these right-wing parties are going to form a majority of the, of the Knesset, and these left-wing parties can't form a majority, so we give it to the right wing. 
That's what has happened here. Now, this is hilarious. The New York Times says, regardless of the final result, the election appeared to be a grave scare for Mr. Netanyahu, who has led Israel for a decade of relative security and prosperity. More than a million Israelis voted for the blue and white, a record for a new party, placing it in a position of being the main alternative to Israel's right wing, a spot held for decades by the Labor Party. Well, no, this is more of a scare for the Labor Party than it is for Netanyahu, who was hit with not one but two indictments in the middle of this election cycle, unending hatred from the left wing press across the United States and in Israel, and pulled out a victory anyway for the fifth consecutive term. Okay, that is not exactly a brutal scare for Netanyahu. The guy ended up winning 65 of the seats in Knesset, which in Knesset is a pretty solid majority. That's a pretty solid majority. So the parties that are lining up behind Netanyahu, that includes the right wing and religious parties. And he will have a majority in office that the four parties would be Kulanu, the union of of right wing parties, the ultra orthodox Shas, which is really a Sephardic political party uh, and largely concerned with preserving the benefits that 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 some Orthodox Jews receive in Israel and united Torah Judaism, which is a right wing Israeli uh, Orthodox party. Those are combined to win a combined 25 seats. And then the Israel Beitanu party led by Avigdor Lieberman, which is projected to take five seats as well. Now, the way this works is that Netanyahu will then hand out cabinet ministries to a bunch of his coalition partners. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. But the bottom line is that the the press is going to play this as though the evil Israeli right wing won here and that it's just another sign that the Israelis are unwilling to make concessions. You can see Chris Matthews do this routine. Chris Matthews, who knows less about Israeli politics than he knows about cooking a good borscht. I mean, the guy really doesn't know anything about Israeli politics. He gets out of bed in the morning, goes to the show, come on in there, talk about a country I don't know anything about because I don't know anything. But you know what? Roll on in you're all drunk looking and crazy. Talk about Israeli politics, go. President Trump has forged no deeper political bond than with the one he has with Benjamin Netanyahu. I, I've been following the Middle East like every grown-up American who lives in this country. We all follow Middle East negotiations and politics. And always our president, from Eisenhower, from all the way up to W, although some lean towards Israel more, some lean against it a little bit, their government, they've always played this other role as honest broker in the region so they can bring peace and play a bigger global role than just being buddies with Israel. This president has ignored his global role, ignored the role, forfeited that a peacemaker or honest broker, and just played political sidekick of Bibi. Okay, that's an amazing statement by Matthews. So basically, all the other presidents were great because they refused to support Israel in their battle with terrorism, whereas Trump is very bad because he has been a true, solid ally to the only democratic state in the Middle East. Right? We in the United States, you can tell how Israel has you know, the only free elections in the Middle East by the fact that we in the United States can watch as the results roll in in real time. And Bibi Netanyahu could have lost this election. Can that be said anywhere else in the Middle East? Of course not. Israel is a liberal democracy. Israel is a free country. Israel is a country where all of its citizens have rights. And yet people like Matthews want to want the United States to treat Israel and the Palestinians on an even plane when the Palestinians are led by legitimately terrorist groups who have not been elected for the last 14, 15 years. It's pretty astonishing. Also worthwhile noting, you know, you get Matthews complaining there that Trump intervened in the Israeli election. Now, actually, Trump didn't intervene in the Israeli election. He's obviously friendly with Netanyahu. You know who used to intervene regularly in Israeli elections? That would have been Barack Obama. And there's a great irony to the fact that Obama, who despised Netanyahu, is out of office. He's termed out. But Netanyahu maintains his office. And Israel is now in stronger position today than it was when Barack Obama was in office. Barack Obama spent his term trying to hurt Bibi Netanyahu and trying to hurt the state of Israel. There's just no question about this. He was exorbitantly 
anti-Israel in his policies. There's a reason that right before he left, he abstained from a UN resolution that he helped push that condemned Israel. Obama, Obama actually deployed members of his own political coterie to Israel to stump against Netanyahu in the election before this one. So if we're going to talk about American interference in Israeli politics, Trump is not the beginning, nor is he the end. It's really an astonishing take by the left. You can tell the left is very upset about this because they don't like Netanyahu, period. And by the way, and as I say, it's all a lie. They wouldn't like Benny Gantz either. They wouldn't, they wouldn't like anybody who's elected to the prime ministership of Israel. Even when Israel makes concessions, the New York Times never thinks it is enough. Okay, we'll get to a little bit more on Israeli politics in a second, and then we'll move across the pond to American politics. But first, let's make something very clear. You don't have time to go to the post office. I don't have time to go to the post office. You are busy. No one's got time for that traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages. It is indeed a real hassle. And that is why you need stamps.com. It is one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Why? Because stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle all of it with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it off to your mail carrier or you drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time. It saves you money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale without any long-term commitments. There's a reason we use stamps.com at the Daily Wire offices. You can too. Just go to stamps.com, click on that microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Shapiro. That is stamps.com. Enter Shapiro to check it out. So as I say, the media coverage is just, they're lamenting. They can't handle the fact that Bibi Netanyahu retains the premiership and his, his fifth term. What really happened here? Here's what really happened here. As Damon Linker points out at the week, there is no left in Israel. There's no left left in Israel. Why? Because eventually reality sets in when every day you have to face the prospect of rockets flying over your cities because you unilaterally withdrew and handed territory to a terrorist group. At a certain point, people are going to say, you know what? I don't think we can make a deal with those folks. We need somebody who's going to guarantee us security. That's all that has happened in Israel. Everyone in Israel, right, left, and center, understands there has to be a separation with the Palestinians. The only question is whether that separation happens with more territory under Israeli control or less territory under Israeli control. Everyone, right, left, and center, understands there cannot be an independent Palestinian state in control of its own borders so long as that state is run by terrorists and it will, for the foreseeable future, be run by terrorist groups. Everyone understands this. That's because people in Israel are reasonable. That's because they are humans, they are humans who are reasonable. And I think that the vast majority of Palestinians have either been brainwashed by an education system that has taught them that the Israelis are the reason for their suffering, whereas if the Palestinian government actually just came to the table, this would all end tomorrow. Or the vast majority of Palestinians are under the active oppression of terrorist groups that are active in, in the Gaza Strip and in the Palestinian Authority and, and under Islamic Jihad. You can't blame the Israelis who have tried to bend over backwards at every step of the way, every single step of the way. Name a list of concessions Palestinians have made. Go. Oh, you can't? That's because they've made no concessions. Name a list of concessions Israel has made. Let's see. They withdrew from the entire Gaza Strip in 2005. They have withdrawn from well over 80% of Judea and Samaria. They have tried to hand direct control over to the Palestinian Authority routinely. Ehud Barak made an offer where he handed, tried to hand half of Jerusalem to the Palestinian Authority. Ehud Olmer tried to do exactly the same thing. 
and add something like 94% of all territories asked and land swaps in return for the other 6%, which would have been areas like a fraud, heavily Jewish territory. Israel is constantly trying to make concessions. It's been rejected every step of the way for literally the entire history of Israel. And yet the left-wing press constantly is putting the onus on the state of Israel, which suggests either they don't understand the politics or there is animus, unique animus for the state of Israel, which is driven by a perverse view of the world and of global politics. Even if Blue and White had won, that would not have been an endorsement of the leftist position on Israel because Blue and White was not a left party, it was a center party. All righty. Meanwhile, the Democrats continue to push forward their agenda. And there's something stunning a little bit about Bernie Sanders. And it occurred to me yesterday. So Bernie Sanders, it turns out, is a millionaire. He's a millionaire. Wow. So he said that he was not going to release his tax returns. Then he said he was going to release his tax returns. He has finally acquiesced. He's, he told the New York Times that he said, April 15th is coming. We wanted to release 10 years of tax returns. April 15th, 2019 will be the 10th year. So I think you will see them. And then he added, he was contrasting his wealth with that of President Trump, not being a billionaire. He said, well, what will your records look like? He said, not being a billionaire, not having investments in Saudi Arabia, wherever he has investments all over the world, mine will be a little bit more boring. And then he conceded, and here's, here's the best part. Here's the best part. He conceded that he is a millionaire, that he is worth more than a million dollars, which puts him in the top percent of wealth, earner, wealth owners in the United States, and probably in the top 1% of income between him and his wife. He says, I wrote a best-selling book. If you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too. Right. That's, that's my point. As I said yesterday, Bernie Sanders, man, marks in the streets, Hayek in the sheets. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> that's an amazing, amazing thing, right? Bernie Sanders, the guy who is constantly ripping on the free market system, saying, well, if you work hard and you write the book, then you also could be rich, right? That's what I say, right? That's what President Trump says. That's what everybody who is right of center says. By the way, that's what a lot of people on the left say too. Hillary Clinton has said that she is a capitalist. In 2016, there was a debate between her and Sanders and Sanders said, he was asked whether he was a capitalist and he said, if by that you mean, am I in favor of corporations that own the American political system? Then no, I am not a capitalist. And then he went to Hillary and Hillary said, yeah, I'm a capitalist because capitalism has created the greatest middle class in the history of the world. Hillary was right. Bernie was wrong. But here's the dirty little secret about Bernie. Bernie wants it both ways. So there are a bunch of Democrats who still like the capitalist system, but they just said that they want to redistribute the gains, right? They want it to be more like Norway. They want it to be more like Denmark. Now, Bernie says all of that, but then he proclaims that he is a socialist and he doesn't like the free market system. Because the truth is that if Bernie told the truth, if Bernie actually said the same thing as all the other Democrats, that he likes capitalism, he just wants to, quote unquote, curb its excesses, or that he wants to stack more welfare programs on top, then people would understand that his program is actually not substantially different from the rest of the Democratic Party. His differentiating point is his dislike for the profit motive in capitalism. That is his differentiating point. If he doesn't do that, he is exactly the same as Joe Biden. He is a little bit more extreme in his in his government nationalization scheme, but his basic take would be the same as the mainstream Democratic Party. He couldn't really claim independence from that party. He couldn't claim to be an outsider. If his argument was the same as the rest of the Democrats, capitalism, free markets, inherently good, but we have to make sure that people are taken care of, he is no different from any other Democrat, but that is not his case. That is not his case. And that's what makes it ridiculous and hypocritical for him to say that if you publish a book, you can be a millionaire too. Now, a couple of things that are also noteworthy about this. Bernie Sanders is not a millionaire because he wrote a book. Bernie Sanders is a millionaire because he has lived off of government largesse his entire life 
and he wrote a book, meaning that Bernie Sanders has been a professional useless person for virtually all of his adult life. I mean, the man was so lazy, he was tossed off a commune in the 1970s. You know how lazy you have to be to be tossed out of a commune? Okay, so Bernie Sanders has been in the public eye, elected official, being paid by the taxpayers for virtually all of his 60 years in the, in the workforce, because the man's nearing 80. And using that platform, he then launched a book that sold a lot of copies. So using the platform of a taxpayer-funded position to become prominent and then launching a book on the back of that is not exactly the same thing as somebody like me launching a book and that selling a lot of copies. I've taken no taxpayer dollars. I have not forcibly extracted wealth from anyone and then put it in my pocket. Hey, Bernie Sanders is in the business of taking taxpayer dollars. He didn't build that to coin a term. But beyond that, Bernie Sanders, again, his record is that he is, I mean, this sudden love for an Ayn Randian approach to the free market. If you write a book, you can also be a millionaire. Inspiring message there, capitalist. Unlike Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, Sanders doesn't generally spend a lot of time paying homage to free markets. Like if you listen to Warren Buffett, Buffett will talk, Buffett is on the left, he's a Democrat. He'll say, free markets are wonderful, capitalism is wonderful. Also, people like me should be taxed more to pay for welfare benefits. I disagree with him. I think this is counterproductive. I think it's a violation of the sovereignty of private property to forcibly remove wealth from people so that you can spend it on stuff that you want. But at least Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are fans of the free market. Bernie Sanders has spent most of his career ripping on the free market. The only time he occasionally pays lip service to capitalism is to swivel and call for nationalization of major sectors of the American economy. In the 70s, he urged nationalization of nearly every major industry in the United States from oil to banking. In 1988, he explained that his brand of socialism revolved around a system, quote, where human beings can own the means of production and work together rather than having to work as semi-slaves to other people who can hire and fire. That's communism. Ownership of the means of production is the Marxist definition of socialism. During that same period, he was asked about bread lines in Nicaragua, which was then run by communists. And Sanders said, it's funny. Sometimes American journalists talk about, the, about how bad the country is, that people are lining up for food. That is a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. Sanders' entire critique of capitalism is that it inherently causes inequality and that that inequality leads to domination by the rich at the expense of the poor. That is his critique of capitalism. So if that's your critique, dude, you don't get to play the I worked hard for my money card. You don't get to do that routine. So welcome to the club, Bernie Sanders. I'm so glad that you've decided to come around to the free market perspective. It is amazing. Now, the left will simply ignore all of this. His supporters will simply ignore all of this, or they'll do the routine where they say, yeah, well, he, he never said that he hates all of capitalism. That's been the underlying theme of his campaign forever. It's the differentiating point, again, between him and Hillary Clinton. It was funny. People on the left were struggling to come up with a differentiation in 2016 between Sanders and Clinton. And basically, this was the common consensus that in his heart, Sanders does not like the free market. Hillary Clinton does like the free market. And Hillary herself has said, one of the reasons that I lost in 2016 is because I had the gall to come out in favor of capitalism. So fascinating to watch Bernie Sanders being exposed for what he really is, which is apparently a typical mainline Democrat, not a brand new revolutionary leftist. Pretty, pretty incredible. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to the rest of the positive Democratic agenda. So today we're going to break down the Democratic agenda into three separate prongs. There's the positive Democratic agenda, the negative Democratic agenda, and then the delusional Democratic agenda. So we'll get to all of those in just a second. First, let's talk about how you can make your business better. Like Bernie Sanders, you love the free market. And you want to make sure that you have the best people working for you. And this is why you should use ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. 
as applications come in. ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. If you're looking to upgrade staff or if you're simply looking to bring on great new people, ZipRecruiter is the place to start. Go check them out right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com, the smartest way to hire. Go check them out one more time. You can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. All righty. So meanwhile, the Democrats are rolling out their positive agenda. Suffice it to say, it ain't that great. Maisie Hirono, who may in fact be the new dumbest person in the United States Senate. Barbara Boxer used to hold that title and then she retired. Now it is Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii. So she was talking about the abortion agenda of the Democratic Party. And she said, you know what? Let's not focus on the unborn children. Let's focus on the children who are already here. The word hypocritical doesn't even begin to cover what is happening to women and children across our country. My thanks to you, Dr. Peterson and Senator Jordan today once again. And I hope the supporters of bills that we're talking about today, both in the states and in Congress, turn their efforts to improving the lives of the children who are very much here already and who are so poorly served by the Trump administration and his policies. Okay, pretty amazing. So don't focus on the babies in the womb that are being killed. Focus on the other kids. Again, I don't know why this is a binary decision. How about we focus on both? I feel like we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I feel like we can preserve the lives of babies in the womb and also treat people with humanity at the border. I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. So your positive agenda is treat people at the border well. Forget about the babies being stabbed in the head and their brain sucked into a sink. Like the, the solid, solid stuff there, Maisie Hirono. Meanwhile, I got AOC who says that there will be blood on our hands if we don't pass her crappy Green New Deal that we are not allowed to vote on. I mean, I do love the fact that AOC, who is incredibly fresh and incredibly face, as we know, that she put forward a Green New Deal so unpopular that every co-sponsor of it voted to abstain from passing it in the United States Senate. And then she has the temerity to come out and say, if we don't pass my Green New Deal that I encourage people to abstain from, then we have blood on our hands. Okay, lady, so put it up for a vote. I, I'm... You were, why are you angry when people vote on your stuff? Here's AOC doing this routine, the positive agenda here. Do you think that um, neglecting to address these threats is, uh, could contribute to um, American, the loss of American life? Yes. And do you think that denial or even delaying in that action could cost us American lives? Yes. So I think what we have laid out here is a very clear moral problem. And in terms of leadership, if we fail to act, or even if we delay in acting, we will have blood on our hands. Okay, so, the, the, you know, it's funny. When people on the right say stuff like this, if you say that if we fail to act on abortion, we have blood on our hands, then the left suggests that this is an, that this is an incentive to violence. If AOC says that we have blood on our hands if we don't do exactly what she wants to do, that is not an incentive to violence. Even though, legitimately, this is, I mean, this was really what, the Bernie Sanders supporter who shot up a congressional baseball game said about climate change. He said that these people are trying to kill us because they won't do anything about climate change. So I need to step in and do something about them. Now, Bernie Sanders wasn't to blame for that. AOC isn't to blame for people who do violence in her name. Obviously, she's not calling for violence. But that said, is this rhetoric dramatically overheated? She hasn't even put forward a practical policy. What exactly are we supposed to be doing? One of my pet peeves is people who suggest that without any actual policy, I'm supposed to agree with them. 
they they just wave around this this weird bloody bloody flag where they where they where they just sort of say if you disagree with me on this general idea then you have blood on your hands I'm like, well I, I can't boil that down into anything the democrats did this as i said yesterday about slavery reparations if you disagree about slavery reparations then this means you're anti-blacks like that's not a proposal you've not proposed anything how am i supposed to agree or disagree before you propose anything but this is the the de- positive democratic agenda is that we need a Green New Deal that is unspecified and we need to ignore the death of babies in the womb. Then there's the negative Democratic agenda. And this is really where Democrats are seeking to make hay. Democrats are hoping that they can win election in 2020 simply by ripping on Republicans. That's all. And so this means that even the most quote-unquote moderate and kind Democrats are going to do this routine. One of the people who's been doing this to my great consternation is Pete Buttigieg. So Buttigieg, who is the South Bend, Indiana mayor, I've had praise for him over the past several weeks because I say, hey, look, a normal human. A human who thinks that just because we disagree, that does not make us a bad person. And yet, Buttigieg has spent the last several weeks ripping on my pens for no reason that I can fathom. Legitimately no reason. Instead of him just saying, listen, I disagree with Mike Pence on policy. I think that he's wrong and I think his policies hurt people. Instead of that, he says, Mike Pence hates me. Mike Pence is is despicable and a bad Christian and he hates me. And all Pence has done, I mean, really, all Pence has done is say nice things about Buttigieg his entire career. In 2014, when Buttigieg was called up in the National Guard, Pence personally called him to express his thanks. In 2015, when Buttigieg came out of the closet, Pence said that he was a good man. I mean, what is this? Now, the media want to create the feeling there's a battle here, so it doesn't look like Buttigieg is just being aggressive for political gain. So it doesn't look like Buttigieg is just being a jerk, attacking Pence for no reason, simply so he can claim that he's a victim of Pence, who's never said a bad word about him or done anything bad to him. So CNN politics, in their inimitably stupid way, massive journalisming, journalisming out the wazoo, CNN politics puts out this headline, the feud between Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Vice President Mike Pence escalates. There is no feud. The entire feud is Mike Pence sits there and Buttigieg calls him names. That's not a feud. I understand you want there to be a feud so you can portray Pence as anti-gay, but there is no feud. There is no feud at all. By the way, if you think that CNN doesn't have bias, CNN has been trying to has been trying to ramp up the rhetoric on the immigration issue, suggesting that President Trump is uniquely evil when it comes to separating families at the border. Now, obviously, Barack Obama also separated families at the border because he had to under Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals law. Nonetheless, CNN has on Samantha Vinograd. Now, you may not know Samantha Vinograd. She was a member of Obama's team. She was not chironed as such on CNN. She was just a CNN contributor. And here she is on CNN explaining that when Obama separated families, that was good for the families. When Trump separates families, that's bad for the families. President Obama separated children from their families' wealth or from adults' wealth. It was for their protection. Right. It, was, it was if there was a risk of trafficking or other kind of harm that might have been incurred. But even if he did do that, why is Donald Trump saying that two wrongs make a right? Again, Obama wasn't wrong, but so he's saying that because something happened under President Obama, he's repeating it and upping the ante. That is an incredibly poor excuse. He has systemized that inhumane treatment that, again, Obama was doing to protect the children. Oh, so when Obama did it, it was to protect the kids. But when Trump does it, it's because he hates the kids. Amazing journalism in CNN, just well done all around. And the attacks don't stop there. I'll bring you some more of these attacks. And I'll bring you an epic moment from Candace Owens, who, who did an amazing job in firing back on Democrats who attacked her yesterday uh, on the Hill. We'll get to that in just one second. First, head on over to Daily Wire. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription. That means that you get the rest of this show live. It means you get two additional hours of the show every afternoon. 
which is just pleasures galore. I mean, your life will be so much richer. You can go check all of that out. Also, for $99 a year, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. We're on the road today, as you know, but I have activated the non-invisibility cloaking device. I've deactivated the cloaking device on our, on our leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler, and thus it stands before you in my hand. You can have one of these for $99 a year, which is cheaper than the monthly subscription. All sorts of other benefits. You get the Andrew Clavin show. You get the Matt Walsh show. You get Michael Moles' show, if that's something you actually care about. You get all of those wonderful things when you subscribe. Also, subscribe to us at YouTube and iTunes, and you get the Sunday special. You get all sorts of, you get the conversation with me. When you're a subscriber, you can ask me questions. And the benefits are just enormous. The drawbacks nearly non-existent. So go check that out right now over at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. <laughs> So the positive Democratic platform is slavery reparations, a, unspecified how that works, Green New Deal, unspecified how that works, and also kill babies. Pretty obvious how that works. The negative Democratic agenda is Mike Pence is evil. Good luck with that. When Obama separated families, that was for their own good, but Trump is a bad man. And also, Stephen Miller is a white nationalist. So Stacey Abrams, who has become a really bad actor on the American political stage, she's a good speaker, she's a charismatic figure, and she's a bad actor. She's spent every day since losing her Georgia gubernatorial election proclaiming that it was stolen from her. I'm old enough to remember when the media said that if Trump did that, it would be a cut against both the American way of life and the democratic system and the media that covered it. Now Stacey Abrams says that kind of stuff daily and the media feed her for it and talk about her running for president. Stacey Abrams appears on CNN and calls Stephen Miller, the president's immigration advisor, a white nationalist. What is her evidence that he is a white nationalist? That, she, that he disagrees with her, obviously. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar actually referred to him uh, as a white nationalist. Do you agree with her? I believe that what we have seen from Stephen Miller is vestiges of white nationalism. One of the deepest concerns that I have, that this is a person who's directing the Department of Homeland Security, the third largest agency in this, in this nation that's responsible for protecting us, but the person who is pulling the strings does not seem to care about protecting many Americans. Really? So Stephen Miller doesn't care about protecting Americans. And she gets this from no one knows. And also he's acting vestiges of white nationalism based on. Mm, but I guess that we can just yell at everybody who's Republican and call them racist. The best example of this was yesterday on the Hill. So Candace Owens was speaking at a white nationalism hearing on the Hill by Democrats in Congress. Now, everyone should be concerned with white nationalism and white supremacism. They are very bad. They are so evil that I have to have nearly full-time security around me because they hate my guts and I hate their guts. My hatred is justified. Theirs is unjustified, but they're bad people. So that's all right. White supremacism is evil. Racism is evil. White nationalism is evil. We are all unified on this. The reason the Democrats on the Hill were having this hearing, however, was to suggest that white nationalism is on the rise because conservatives have been winning elections. That is because of Trump. That is because of the great expansion of white nationalism in the United States on the basis of conservatism. And then the left was going to try, Democrats were going to try and conflate sort of mainstream conservatism with white nationalism, which is a bad faith tactic designed not to unify us, but to tear us apart. So Candace Owens goes and she testifies and she talks about, and she talks about how the Democrats are using this tactic, that what they are really trying to do is scare minorities into voting for them by suggesting that if Republicans win, then they will be a danger of being attacked in the streets, Jesse Smollett style. And Candace is not wrong about that. That is obviously a political tactic that is being used by Democrats. I take white supremacy 
absolutely seriously. I take white nationalism absolutely seriously. It is also true that on a factual level, a lot of the statistics that have been put out about the rise in white nationalist crime are based on changing the method of statistic gathering. More reporting agencies have been reporting alleged hate crimes, and therefore the numbers have been going up. The truth is that they were going up year on year before President Trump ever entered the White House. With all of that said, Candace Owens was speaking about all of this and, and sort of the broader Democratic political agenda. And Ted Lieu, who is just awful, the congressperson from Los Angeles, he pulls out a video on his phone of Candace Owens talking about Hitler. Now, this made a controversy, what, a couple of months ago, where she was giving some sort of speech and she was talking about nationalism. She was asked what, what she thought of nationalism. And she made an ill-advised and poorly articulated statement about how Hitler's big problem is that he was an imperialist, not a nationalist, meaning that nationalism is about pride in your state and trying to build up your state. And imperialism is about trying to spread those values outward and take over other states. And she used Hitler as an example. And it was a very poor example because obviously Hitler's crimes began in Germany with the repression and murder of his own citizens. Now, I think that that error did not come from Candace Owens being a fan of Hitler. I think to suggest that Candace Owens is a fan of Hitler is fanciful at best and obviously, obviously slanderous at worst. But was it a badly articulated statement? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a bad, badly articulated statement. Ted Lieu pulls out this clip to try and demonstrate that Candace Owens, Candace Owens is somehow a person who is inspiring white supremacy all over the world. This black woman is somehow inspiring white supremacy all over the world because she made an ill-advised statement about the difference between nationalism and imperialism and used Hitler as a poor example. Here's Lou doing that, and then Candace Owens clocking him. When people try to legitimize Adolf Hitler, does that feed into white nationalist ideology? I think it's pretty apparent that uh, Mr. Lou believes that black people are stupid and will not... Uh, pursue the full clip in its entirety. He purposely presented an extract, an extracted witness, clip. The witness will suspend for a moment. Uh, the witness will not do that again. Witness may continue. Sure, even though I was called despicable. Um, witness may not refer to a member of the committee as stupid. I didn't refer to him as stupid. That's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. As I said, he is assuming that black people will not go pursue the full two-hour clip. That was unbelievably dishonest, and he did not allow me to respond to it, which is worrisome and to tell you a lot about where people are today in terms of trying to drum up narratives. Okay, and she is exactly right. I mean, that is Candace Owens at her best. When Candace is good, she's really good, and that was, and that was really great by Candace Owens. You know, when, when she, she is correct, Ted Lieu plays the clip. He doesn't even allow her to respond to the clip. He just leaves it out there. And then a Republican had to come back to Candace Owens to allow her to respond to the clip. And this justifies what she was saying about the hearing, that what the hearing was actually designed to do was lump in conservatives with white nationalists so that they can smear everybody as a member of the white nationalist movement. I'm alt-right, Candace is alt-right, everybody's alt-right and white nationalists. It's absurd. It's absurd. But this is part of the Democrats' negative agenda. Everybody who disagrees with me is a homophobe and a racist and a bigot and a white nationalist. It's a bunch of garbage, but this is what Democrats are going to try to do. That is a scare tactic, and it's a nasty scare tactic at that. The best example of this also came from this hearing. Mort Klein, who's the head of the Zionist Organization of America, was called to testify. And Klein started to point out that, um, by the way, you guys are totally fine on the Democratic side with anti-Semitism, right? You have a person sitting in this committee right now, Ilhan Omar, who's an anti-Semite. Democrats immediately cut him off. Jews are the victims of 60% of the religious motivated hate crimes in America. Jew hatred is the canary in the coal mine. It's unfortunately incumbent upon us to speak about the major issue threatening violence against Jews and all Americans, which is Muslim anti-Semitism. Especially as a child of Holocaust survivors, I was horrified to see 
Speaker Pelosi leader Hoyer defend Representative Omar after her vicious anti-Semitic remarks and, pre and presidential... The gentleman's time has expired. Ms. Owens. That was unfair. It was not unfair. You had plenty of extra time, Ms. No, Owens. No, I did not. Okay, so Jerry Nadler protecting his own party from allegations of, of going easy on anti-Semitism, which is obviously, obviously true. No, this isn't partisan hackery at all. It's just that the Democrats are deeply concerned about white supremacy. That's, that's really what this is all about. It's a fully, it's a, it's a fully well-motivated hearing. That's obviously what, what was happening here. Okay, we'll get to the delusional Democratic agenda. So there, there is the, so we've gone through the positive Democratic agenda, abortion and Green New Deal and slavery reparations. There's the negative Democratic agenda. Mike Pence is a bigot. Stephen Miller is a white nationalist, and Cadness Owens is a Nazi. And now we get to the delusional Democratic agenda, which is Democrats still desperately hoping that Robert Mueller will save them from themselves, that the Mueller report will emerge, and that when it does, magically, it will say the opposite of what the Attorney General has said that it says, which is that there was no collusion and that there wasn't sufficient evidence for an obstruction of justice charge. Chelsea Handler, who I don't even know why she started getting into politics, you know, they're, they're, I have a rule about comedians in politics generally. That is that comedians who do politics are usually like C or D level political commentators and they're A comedians. Well, if you mix your comedy with your D level politics, your A comedy with your D level politics, it just ends up being a C. It's one of the reasons why sometimes the show is funny. I am not a comic. I'm a political commentator. I think my political commentatorship is pretty good. My comedy, so-so, but... If you mix the two, you end up with something that is closer to so-so than something that is that is really good. Chelsea Handler is a perfect example. She ends up on The View talking politics, and um, she is not good at it. What is this I hear that you have a crush on Robert Mueller? The silent type is always attractive. We have no idea who he is, what he is. He could be the most boring person. I don't, I, I'll take boring at this point. <laughs> I mean, when you put him up against who he's, you know, going after, going after, then yes, I'm sexually vibrating off of that. <laughs> and I want, and I'm into it. And I like that he crosses his T's and he dots his eyes. Right. And we have to see the full report. And until That's we see right. the full report, we won't know how attracted right. I am. Okay. Oh, so once she finds out whether he's going after Trump, then she'll know whether she's sexually attracted. So, so much humor. Wow. Comedying of epic levels happening from, from Chelsea Handler right there. By the way, it is worthwhile noting that the attorney general is now going to engage in a probe of the, of the initial investigation into President Trump. Attorney General Barr said on Wednesday that he thought that spying on a political campaign did occur in the course of intelligence agencies' investigations into Russian interference in the 2016 election. This is according to the Washington Post. At a hearing before the Senate Appropriations Committee, Barr was asked about his statement a day earlier that he would review how the FBI launched its counterintelligence investigation that sought to determine whether Donald Trump's associates were interacting with Russians during the 2016 presidential campaign. He said, I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It's a big deal. He said that there were long-held rules to prevent intelligence agencies from collecting information on domestic political figures. He's saying, I'm not suggesting that those rules were violated, but I think it's important to look at that I'm not talking about the FBI necessarily, but intelligence agencies more broadly. And then Jean Shaheen, the senator from New Hampshire, she asked, you're not suggesting spying occurred. Barr said, I think spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur. Although he added that the key question, and this is correct, is whether law enforcement officials had a proper legal justification to open such an investigation and intelligence gathering. He says, I need to explore that. I want to say that I'm reviewing this. I haven't set up a team yet. I also want to make clear this is not launching an investigation of the FBI, frankly, to the extent that there were any issues at the FBI. I do not view it as a problem that's endemic to the FBI. I think there was probably a failure among a group of leaders there in the upper echelon. This is exactly what I have said about the, the scandal of 
members of the FBI, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, James Comey, members of the FBI skewing their coverage of particular political events to meet a narrative that the Obama administration wanted to meet, whether you're talking about the Hillary investigation or the Trump investigation. Current and former law enforcement officials, of course, have defended their handling of the Russia investigation, saying it was carefully handled based on available evidence, and they have firmly denied they engaged in political spying. Well, we will see if this is true or not. Barr said that the review could result in scrutiny of senior FBI official conduct. He said, I feel I have an obligation to make sure that government power is not abused. I think that is one of the principal roles of the attorney general. The Washington Post, of course, speculates that this is all about Barr appeasing Trump, although the reality is that there are serious questions that need to be asked about the conduct of the Trump investigation, given that it dragged on for two years and that there wasn't sufficient evidence to bring a prosecution or, in fact, any evidence or, in fact, any evidence at all that the president openly colluded with the Russians during the 2016 election. Now, I have to bring you this story just because it's hilarious. Apparently, President Trump visited Mount Vernon yesterday. And it was amazing. Oh, actually, it was last April, I guess, but the report is only emerging now. Apparently, during a guided tour of Mount Vernon last April with French President Emmanuel Macron, this is according to Politico, President Trump learned that Washington was one of the major real estate speculators of his era. So he couldn't understand why America's first president didn't name his historic Virginia compound or any other property he acquired after himself. According to three sources briefed on the exchange, Trump said, if he was smart, he would have put his name on it. You got to put your name on stuff or no one remembers you. Yes, clearly, no one remembers George Washington. <laughs> the VIP tour for the evening, Mount Vernon President and CEO Doug Bradburn then told Trump that Washington did, after all, succeed in getting the nation's capital named after him. And Trump said, good point. <laughs> Pretty spectacular. Uh, apparently, that, that wasn't the only hilarious comment that he made. The president's disinterest in Washington made it tough for the tour guide Bradburn to sustain Trump's interest during a deluxe 45-minute tour of the property, which he later described to associates as truly bizarre. The Macrones, Bradburn has told several people, were far more knowledgeable about the history of the property than the president. A former history professor with a PhD, Bradburn was desperately trying to get Trump interested in Washington's house, said a source familiar with the visit. So he spoke in terms Trump understands best, telling the president that Washington was an 18th century real estate titan who had acquired property throughout Virginia and what would come to be known as Washington, D.C. Trump then asked whether Washington was really rich, according to a second person familiar with the visit. In fact, Washington was indeed incredibly wealthy. Part of that is that the widow that he married, Mary Custis, was incredibly wealthy. This is what Trump was really the most excited about, the person said. Apparently, if, if Trump was impressed with, the re with Washington's real estate instincts, he was less taken by Mount Vernon itself which the first president personally expanded from a modest one-and-a-half-story home into an 11,000-square-foot mansion. The rooms, Trump said, were too small, the staircases too narrow, and he even spotted some unevenness in the floorboards, according to four sources briefed on his comments. He said he could have built the place better and for less money. That's our president, ladies and gentlemen. Solid, solid stuff from the president. In the oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we're, we're living inside a comedy. There's just no other... Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Only the father of our country, but the floorboards here, the little uneven. If I were living in 1787, I would have built this totally differently. And I would have named it Trump House. Trump House. Big T on the front. Trump House. And then people would have remembered me as opposed to George. Who even remembers George Washington anymore? He's a state named after him. The Capitol named after him. The Washington Monument named after him. A couple of sports teams. But, you know. All right, whatever, who cares?
Did he build a big tower with a big gold T or W on it? No, no, he didn't. Incredible. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. Things I like. So speaking of actual history that matters, uh, there, there is a fantastic, fantastic documentary that came out uh, a little while back uh, called They Shall Not Grow Old, directed and produced by Peter Jackson. It's the best thing that Peter Jackson has done since Lord of the Rings. Obviously a very different thing. He colorized, added sound to, and smoothed out a bunch of World War I footage, and it dramatically changes your take on uh, and your feelings about World War I. As things recede into the midst of history, we tend to ignore them. We tend to dehumanize the people who are involved in those historic occurrences. We tend to depersonalize from their suffering and to feel that their suffering occurred at a different time. Black and white footage is one of the things that does it. Everything that exists in black and white feels like it's just not, it's almost half real. Well, Peter Jackson, by recolorizing all of this footage and changing the nature of adding sound, suddenly World War I feels like the Vietnam War or like the Iraq War, stuff that happened just yesterday and that resulted in immense human carnage. It's an amazing film. Uh, it, it does not try to undermine the British cause in World War I, but it does point out the human suffering. Just, it should have won Best Picture last year. I never say that about a documentary. This should have won Best Picture last year. Here's Peter Jackson with uh, They Shall Never Grow Old. I was 16 years old, and my father allowed me to go. I was just turned 17 at the time. I was 16. I was 15 years. When they came to us, they were frightened children and had to be made into soldiers. in the pictures. <laughs> I gave every part of my youth to do a job. It's, it's a transformative film. It's an amazing, amazing accomplishment, just a filmmaking accomplishment. So, yeah, go check it out. It's available for sale on Amazon right now. They Shall Not Grow Old. There's a, there's a whole sequence that is deeply affecting and moving where he shows kind of slow-mo footage of these guys in color, and then he clips to them after they've been killed. It's, 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 it's an amazing piece of filmmaking. It really is. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So Newsweek has a cover. They put Ilhan Omar on the cover. And the cover is a picture of her, a close-up picture of her. Don't worry, guys. We are the ones obsessed with the fresh faces, not the media. It is, it is we, we on the conservative side, who are obsessed with Ilhan Omar. Obsessed. So it has a big picture of her, and then it says, Ilhan Omar, the Democrats, and Israel. That's on the cover. And it says, they tweeted this out, new cover story, how Ilhan is changing the conversation about Israel and upending the 2020 campaign. Now, weird. I don't remember after Steve King said his garbage about white nationalism, then putting him on the cover with Steve King, white nationalism, and America, and the tweet, how Steve King is changing the conversation about race. I don't remember that. I also don't remember them putting Trump on the cover of the magazine when he was talking about illegal immigration and saying how President Trump is changing the conversation about Mexico. I don't remember, but Ilhan Omar, who's an open anti-Semite, does not hide this fact. She's just changing the conversation, not about Jews, but about Israel. By the way, she's not changing the conversation. This has always been the conversation. There are a bunch of anti-Semites who hate Israel, and use anti-Zionism as a cover for the fact that they do not like Jews. Ilhan Omar is one of those people. The fact that Newsweek is covering for her tells you a lot about what you need to know about the media more generally. Okay, other things that I hate today. Oh, by the way, I forgot a, a thing that I like. I forgot a thing I like, so I'll add it in here. The thing that I like, they've released a, a picture of an actual black hole, which basically looks like a donut or the Io Sauron. That's all that, that's all that it looks like. But 
it is pretty cool that theoretical physics results in in real evidence a hundred years later. So that's kind of neat. Anyway, back to things that I hate because come on, there's a there's a story from CBS News, epic journalism here. The story is titled "Consent Condom Requires Four Hands to Open," making powerful statement about consent. It's powerful, guys. Super powerful. So, I guess what the consent condom is for is for the guy evil enough that he is going to rape a girl, but woke enough that he buys the condom that requires four hands to open it. So for that very small group of guys who are who are woke enough to go buy a condom that can only be opened by two pairs of hands, for that guy who is also a rapist, that's what this condom is for, I guess. With consent at the forefront of modern conversations about sex, says Sophie Lewis, one company is highlighting its importance in a unique way. Argentinian company Tulipan has created a consent condom that requires four hands to be opened, intending to raise awareness about consent in the bedroom. If they don't say yes, it means no. The tagline on a video demonstration says, consent is the most important thing in sex. Yes, I'm sure that this will fix everything. Probably this will fix everything, that it requires four hands to press the to, to press buttons on the side of the box to open the condom. You, you've changed the conversation, guys. Finally, we solved rape. Good job, everyone. Go home happy. Well done. I mean, I guess we solved rape, except for that character from Mortal Kombat who had four arms, right? There was that guy, and he had he had four hands. So the the, the four arms guy, Goro. So Goro, so Goro, is, Goro, I guess can still do what he wants to do. But everybody else, everybody else, we've solved rape. So that's that's exciting stuff. All right, we will be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours. Plus, remember. I'm speaking at Grand Canyon University tonight. So if you're in the Phoenix area, head on over to Grand Canyon University. I believe it's sold out, but you may be able to get some scalp tickets or something. If you can't find that, then go to yaf.org slash live. And we are live streaming that event as well. So you can just watch that in the comfort of your own home. But if you want to come out and experience the joy, go to GCU tonight. I hope to see you then. And if not, we'll see you later today for two more hours. And if not, then we'll see you here tomorrow because we're a content machine, gang. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The left says white nationalism is on the rise. I say their real object is silencing conservative speech. We'll talk about that. And we've got the mailbag on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 